Now from Times Square, here's what you need to know. And a very good afternoon to you and welcome to What You Need to Know. It is good to be with you on this Tuesday. Yeah, we're all so happy to have Dr. Jen oh, welcome back. back. Thank you. Wow, I should go away more often. Where have you been? Where I missed you guys. I just popped over to the UK for a little Liverpool football final. They won. They won. <laughs> it was very exciting. Yes. I love how she said, I just popped over. Yeah. Just, just went overseas. Yeah. Just <laughs> little, for a little, little bit. Over across the pond. Well, little. now we're going to make you work again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's talk about this headline that everyone has been talking about recently. The Alabama Supreme Court ruling that frozen embryos should be considered as children. It has a lot of people asking a lot of different questions, but the thing that people are really curious about right now is IVF. It's put yeah. on hold all of this IVF for a lot of these families. Break this down for us. Yeah, so let's go through it medically um, because again, when they hear IVF, assisted reproductive technology, a lot of people don't understand the medicine and the science behind that. So let me take you through it. Um, first of all, this is when you join an egg and a sperm in a lab setting. Uh, first, you have to go through an egg retrieval, then fertilization in a lab, then testing for all uh, kinds of genetic disorders, and then a retransfer into the uterus. Um, so this is a, an extensive and expensive procedure. Um, reasons for this. Advanced age on the part of the mother. De <coughs> excuse me. Decreased sperm count, damaged fallopian tubes, a slew of medical issues ranging from endometriosis, potentially other kind of inherited medical disorders. And big picture, guys, this affects 2.3% of all live births in this country. If you put that into the 4 million live births, you're talking almost 100,000 babies every single year. So the reach here is is really significant. Yeah, and I know so many people who had no real reason for infertility that couldn't get pregnant that used IVF. Right, and I, and I think that that's the thing. When you talk about this, this isn't just on a whim. For a lot of women and a lot of couples, this is quite literally their only chance. And again, in terms of risk benefit, it's not only extensive and expensive in terms of time and cost, um, but there are medical risks as well. And I think we've come a long way in terms of reproductive science. We don't want to see this dialed back. And as an OBGYN, I think if you're going to consider a 16 cell mass, a living child, then you should be able to claim that embryo on your tax dependence. Big talker here, Dr. Jim. One way Thank or the you. other, you bet. Thank you. Uh, let's turn now to ABC's Brad Milkey, host and managing editor of the popular ABC podcast. Start here with our latest headlines. How you doing? Hey, good to see you guys. And we begin with the dangerous <laughs> storms moving across the country right now. Ginger Z's got the track. All-time February record heat. Many sites in the Midwest were breaking that or all-time winter hottest, which Chicago could do today, ending up in the mid-70s. But look at some of those numbers. Near 100 in Laredo, Texas. Omaha was 80. My goodness, the warmest February and warmest winter temperature for them. There are several more of those that could happen today from Burlington back to Jackson, Mississippi, daily records and beyond in all the places that were circled in red there. But when you've got such a big temperature gradient, because it will get much colder, you're going to have the potential for tornadoes. Much of Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, Missouri, Ohio and Michigan. Please be on the lookout tonight. Voters are heading to the polls in the Michigan primary today. As Democrats rally around President Biden nationally, voters in Arab American communities in Michigan are encouraging a protest vote of uncommitted over the war in Gaza. Michigan's home to some of the highest concentration of Muslims in the country. Thousands expected to take part to urge the president to change course in his strong support of Israel. A new scramble to avert a partial government shutdown is underway in Washington. Top lawmakers meeting at the White House with President 
Biden and Vice President Harris. As that Friday deadline nears, funding for key agencies could run out. The president expected to push again for new aid to Ukraine and Israel. Taylor Swift's father is making headlines in Australia. The pop star's dad was accused of assaulting a photographer. ABC licensed video from this photographer who says Taylor's dad took a punch at him when he tried to take a picture of them walking down a dock. Taylor's team says two individuals were aggressively pushing toward Taylor and threatening to throw a female staff member in the water. Police in Sydney are investigating the incident. Wendy's customers here at home are in for something new with their burgers and fries come 2025. The company says it's exploring surge pricing similar to ride sharing where customers could pay more or less depending on the time of day along with demands. And get ready for some extra energy in this year's Oscar stage. Ryan Gosling from the blockbuster Barbie will sing the Oscar nominated hit. I'm just Ken during the Academy Awards. You guys thought his job was just beach, right? Hollywood's biggest night less than two weeks away and right here on ABC. Can't wait for it, guys. He's just getting started. <laughs> Gonna be a cool show. Thank you, Brian. Good to see you. Still ahead on GMA3 on this Tuesday, the nation's education secretary joins us on President Biden's new round of more than a billion dollars in student loan forgiveness and some things that you may not know about the process. And coming up, the national crisis when it comes to suicide and young people of color. We are looking at the power of mentoring to help change that. GMA3 when we come back. Starting in August this year, the Albert Einstein College of Medicine will be tuition free. Oh, could you imagine? Absolutely amazing. That was a moment that Ruth Gottesman changed lives forever with her $1 billion history making gift. An amazing moment for students in New York against the backdrop of another education development. Uh, President Biden announcing he's forgiving $1.2 billion in student loan debt, affecting almost 153,000 borrowers. And this comes after the president's initial plan to cancel $400 billion in student debt was struck down by the Supreme Court last summer. Here to discuss this is U.S. Secretary of Education, Dr. Miguel Cardona. Thanks so much for being with us. Great to be with you. Good afternoon. So let's start with the big question on a lot of people's minds. Who qualifies for this? Well, we're excited about uh, the SAVE plan, which we know is going to make college much more affordable across the country. But as was mentioned, the president, um, you know, we, we announced last week 153,000 borrowers uh, having over a billion dollars in debt relief. Who qualifies for this? Folks who took out a loan of $12,000 or less and have been paying it for uh, 10 years. Now, most of these folks, 75% of them, are people that qualify for Pell Grants. So these are people that are lower income um, and you know, are trying to make ends meet. So we're really happy that we can target those folks as well. Mr. Secretary, this weekend on GMA, you said that there will be more relief in sight in the near future. Tell us about it. Yeah. Absolutely. Look, I, I want to be very clear. What we're announcing last week and what we're fighting for is making higher education more affordable and more accessible. That's the bottom line. When the president hired me, he made it very clear to me, we have to fix a broken system. We've provided over $138 billion in debt relief from day one. That's more than any other administration combined. And we're going to continue to announce public service loan forgiveness. We're going to continue to announce the adjustments for the income-driven repayment plan and then the save plan which is as I said a new feature under the president's administration that makes college more affordable will also be announcing 
additional uh, loan forgiveness for those who have been paying over 10 years. What's your response to those critics who argue that taxpayers shouldn't be paying other people's debt? They say, I paid my own college yeah. and it took a long time, or maybe they didn't go to college. Uh, what do you say to them? No, I respect you know everyone's uh, opinion and I respect different perspectives, but let me be very honest. One, over one million people are going into default every year. Taxpayers are paying for that too when people can't afford to pay their, their mortgage and they go into bankruptcy or they can't pay, pay their loans. We're, what we're doing is investing. Education is an investment in our country's future. We are making higher education more affordable, more accessible. Um, and we recognize that it costs more not to address this broken system. If we want to compete internationally, if we want to lead uh, the way we should be leading in the United States, we have to invest in education. And, and another thing, Eva, we, the work that we're doing is aimed at not being in the same position we're in in five years. We're increasing college accountability. We're communicating a better return on investment in higher education. We're creating pathways to careers that don't require a four-year degree. So we're doing a holistic overhaul of a higher education system so it's more affordable, more accessible, um, and our students deserve that. All right, let's talk about the numbers. President Biden has approved almost $138 billion in student debt relief uh, for nearly 3.9 million borrowers. However, uh, some Democrats are worried that voters uh, seem more aware of the president's uh, student debt failures than successes. So how do you turn that perception around, especially in a big election year? Look, you know, our focus right now is providing as much relief to as many borrowers as quickly as possible. Um, put any other president you can't even come close to the work that this president has done around making higher education more affordable, more accessible, and debt relief. Um, but keep in mind, you know, the Supreme Court shot down uh, the biggest plan. Every turn we make, we're getting opposition from uh, Republicans on the Hill, some of whom got debt relief themselves. So we're getting challenged every way, but we've served students. We've done more than any other administration in the history of our country. We're proud of it, and we're not done. We're going to continue fighting for our students. U.S. Secretary of Education, Dr. Miguel Cardona, thank you so much for being with us today. Always good to see you. Thank you. Same here. Take care. And just ahead here, women behind the lens. Yeah, we're on the road to the Oscars with Past Lives first-time director and first-time Academy Award nominee, Celine Song. Stay with us. Back now with more in our Women Behind the Lens series on the road to the Oscars. ABC's Lindsay Davis recently spoke with first-time nominee Celine Song up for Best Original Screenplay for her directorial debut, Past Lives. Celine Song isn't just a first-time director, she's now also a first-time Oscar nominee. Past Lives. Written by Celine Song. Oh my God, I was freaking out. I was like shouting and I was immediately calling people. It was just like a complete, a joyous burst of energy. Past Lives is a film ripped right from the pages of her personal experiences with her husband and childhood sweetheart. We were just sitting there and we were just having a drink and I was translating between these two people who are both uh, really important to me in different ways. And uh, I, was, I realized that I'm not just translating between two different cultures and two different languages, but also between two different parts of my own self and my own history. And I think that that moment just felt so special to me and very extraordinary. Mm. One thing that I love that you've said, you put it 
that the villain in this story is not the other person, it's it's time and space. Yes, it's the 24 years that pass and it's also the Pacific Ocean that she crosses because she's an immigrant. Maybe you didn't cross the Pacific Ocean in a new language to be where you are now, but we can all relate to the feeling that, you know, you and I are not 12 anymore, but we were 12 once and there's a part of us that is 12 still, right? And there's a part of us that is no longer 12. Audiences are also relating to the concept of inyan explored in the film. What it's meant to imply is that just the fact that you and I are in the same place and a time uh, is enough for us to assume that we had we shared many of our lifetimes before this one, and we plan to share more of our lifetimes in the future. And I think that's something that everybody feels very connected to. Me and Greta, my uh, lead actress, she and I, we talk about it all the time. We'd be like, I just know we were married in a past life. <laughs> we don't know if it's a hundred lifetimes ago. Right. We don't know if it was a thousand, but we know that we were uh, we were married in some way because that's how I feel when I when we just look at each other. A movie about love and for Song, finding love. I remember a few weeks into uh, shooting past lives, coming home and telling my husband that like, I think I met the love of my life. And I think it's filmmaking. And I think I'm gonna do this till I'm on my deathbed, right? And I think that is such a special feeling. It was a revelation for me and it was a discovery for me that this is something that I wanna do forever, you know? So it's, yeah, it is completely about like finding the love of your life. She's so uh, right. It's so important to find, you know, your passion and your purpose along the way. Yeah, and that this is her first, her directorial mm -hmm. debut, and she's nominated. Bravo, <laughs> bravo. Talk about talent and our many thanks to Lindsay for that report. The 96 Academy Awards airs Sunday, March 10th at an all-new earlier time, 7 p.m. Eastern time, right here on ABC. Up next on GMA3, a little-known fact about one of the most popular parks in the world and the key history buried there. It's a history lesson for all, and we'll meet the world champion gymnast making history and getting ready to take on Paris and the Olympics. GMA3, come on back. Step into the world of Hollywood like never before with Melissa Rivers' Group Text Podcast. Melissa, renowned for her red carpet expertise and storytelling prowess, invites you to join her and her famous friends for hilarious and heartfelt conversations. From discussing the latest binge-worthy TV shows, navigating the highs and lows of life, and dissecting celebrity fashion, there is never a dull moment. With exclusive stories from special guests like Chelsea Handler, Cheryl Hines, your favorite reality stars, and deep dives into intriguing topics like the Where is Wendy Williams documentary, this podcast offers an insider's look into the glitz and glam of Tinseltown. It's not just Melissa's podcast. It's a collective experience where you're invited to join the conversation. So if you've ever wanted to peek behind the Hollywood curtain, subscribe to Melissa Rivers' group text podcast now on your favorite platform. Get ready for laughter, tears, gossip. In other words, unforgettable moments that'll keep you coming back for more. Don't miss out. This is one group text you won't want to exit. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.
All right, folks, so back now with Dr. Janet. There's a new study that's talking about how living near fast food in the UK increased the risk of heart disease by up to 16%. Mm -hmm. New study um, done by the American Heart Association published in the journal Circulation looking at heart failure and your environment, geography, location, where you live. They tracked over half a million people in the UK you know, started this study around 2006, followed them all the way up to 2021, and found that if people lived within a 15-minute walk mm. of fast food establishments, they had a 16% increased risk of heart disease over time. Now, you know, again, it's important to remember this is observation, association, not cause and effect. But it kind of makes sense, yeah, right? If your, your environment, <laughs> you know, is one that promotes health, that you will expect healthier outcomes. If it's one where there's a lot of temptation about unhealthier behaviors, that our health is going to suffer. And that's what this showed, which is, you know, makes sense. It's mm. not even about temptation. Sometimes it's just what's easy. Right, convenience, <laughs> easy, most economical, time. Um, and, and these fast food places are everywhere, not just and here in this country. And they smell so good. You can They're smell delicious. them in your car. That's why you turn around and go back. <laughs> do you? I do, I do, <laughs> I do. All right, folks, we're back in a moment. Stay with us. Oh, my God, um, could you imagine? <laughs> Welcome back to GMA 3. We're looking at a difficult subject right now. One in five. That is the number of high school students who have considered attempting suicide in the past year alone, according to the CDC. And, and that rate is roughly two times higher for black children as young as five years old. Joining us now is Susan L. Taylor, founder and CEO of the National Cares Mentoring Movement, on a mission to change those statistics mm -hmm. and help save lives. Thank you so much for being with us. That's the work. That's the work we're dedicated to at the National Cares Mentoring Movement. You say that we are facing a national crisis, but there's no national solution that's out there to save these children. What are you hoping to do? What's the plan? The National Cares Mentoring Movement, we are in communities, and long before we even knew about the horrific numbers around black child suicide, we were doing healing work in schools where you have disproportionately, you know, black children who are struggling along the margins, who are disenfranchised in so many ways, who don't have the healthcare support that they need, the education that they need, the reading of support that they need. So our work is really entering their lives and bringing not just mentors, but psychologists and social workers and people who are wellness experts. But it's heartbreaking when you hear the numbers just as young as five mm -hmm. years old. You say a caring adult spending, what, 30 minutes with a child can make a difference. Talk about the importance of mentoring. Listening, being present, looking in young people's eyes, allowing them to say what they're feeling. You know, we took a group of young people to Capitol Hill. We wanted the Congressional Black Caucus members to hear. And it was uh, Congresswoman Bonnie Watson Coleman who said, we've heard from everybody, but we've not heard from children. Bring them, and we did. These were young people who had survived suicide attempts. And what they said lives and will forever live in my heart. See us, look in our eyes, ask us how we're feeling. Don't criticize us. If you stop criticizing us and telling us everything that we're doing wrong, we will tell you the truth. And, and Susan, for families watching this who think this is a problem, but it won't be our problem, it won't happen to us, what, what do you think they should know? You know what's so amazing is how this cuts across uh, economic and social barriers. You find young folks taking their lives at every quarter. And it's a very sad thing that the United States is not really looking into in a way that we should. 
Now the disproportionate numbers among black children, that's a focus. And maybe now that we're focusing on black, well, how much more data do we need? How many more white papers do we need? What are we saying to parents? You know, be present for a moment. They don't want you three hours in their lives. Put the phone down, put the elements down, put the pot down, put the things down that are distracting you from the young ones and say, how are you? Tell me what you're feeling. Tell me what you're thinking. We're the parents in the household. It's time to turn off the devices and be present with them. We need resources. We need resources in communities. And that's what the National Cares Mentoring Movement is doing with our gala coming up, the For the Love of Our Children Gala. We are training everyday people to go into communities and to work with our young ones, to be present with them so we can stop this national tragedy. It is not something that we have to live with and we can't live with it. Mm -hmm. We have to end it and we can do it right now. So good what yeah. you're doing. Thank Thanks. you so much. And if you are experiencing suicidal thoughts, substance use, or other mental health crises, please call or text 988. You will reach a trained crisis counselor for free, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can also go to 988lifeline.org. It's important to know that help is out there. All right, still ahead, taking a trip back in time inside one of America's favorite landmarks and the history there that just may surprise you. Plus, the young American gymnast hoping to take Paris by storm. I cannot wait for this. We'll meet Fred Richard here back in a bit. Little James Brown for you. Welcome back and thank you for staying with us. Central Park is a stable of New York City life for both residents and millions of visitors from around the world. But what was there before the beloved green space existed just may surprise you. Back in the 1800s, from 1825 to 1857, more than 200 people called it home. Seneca Village. Chances are you've never heard of it. This flourishing African-American settlement was right in the middle of modern-day Central Park, home to a vibrant group of black property owners. And over the past few decades, historians, New Yorkers, and Seneca descendants have started preserving and sharing this once-forgotten story, like Diane Jones Randall. I grew up with a father who was very interested in history. Diane is the daughter of the late Cal Jones, a passionate historian who devoted much of his life to uncovering and sharing the story of Seneca Village. One of the things that was important to him was understanding where we all came from. There was this population of African-American working class people who were the first significant group of homeowners, of property owners in New York in the mid-1800s. And it's so hard to believe that it was right here where we are in Central Park. They built homes, they built schools, they built churches, and they built their own finances. And they were able to do it at a time when that was not an easy thing for black people. And it's a beautiful story when you hear of it, but it's also a sad story because I wanna ask the question, okay, what happened? The city utilized the power of eminent domain and decided this is where Central Park is going to be. So it was a story of the removal of a population of people who had established homes. And that story has happened in other places. Eminent domain refers to the power of a government to take private land for public use. The practice has often resulted in the displacement of marginalized communities. 
Another example of this is Bruce's Beach in Southern California. This is only the first step in our fight for justice for Charles and Willa Bruce and their descendants. In the 1920s, the city seized that land from the Bruce family using the power of eminent domain. In a very rare turn of events, in 2021, the city restored the land to the descendants of the family, land that is worth millions today. Are people ever shocked? when they hear this story. Central Park has a singular story. It's like you sort of talk about Central Park, you don't think about the street grid, you don't think about the people who lived there before. You're experiencing the now moment. I think that's the sad thing about black history is everybody sees it at this point of negative interaction and there was that, but there's also this history of what we did carve out in our lives here and how we contributed. And we're not willing to look at the bright side. We can't really understand what was lost. So when African-Americans left Seneca Village, where did they go? A lot of different places. As the director of community outreach projects, John Reddick is working to protect and spread the story of Seneca Village. It sounds like a huge project just to try and collect artifacts and sort of like, you know, go back and sort of well, lay out. I mean, the challenge for us is like to, to evoke what those lives must have been like. And you understand the joy of what was there. Today, the site of records of Seneca Village provide a wealth of information for those eager to learn about the past. But the truth remains that a thriving community was disbanded to create public space. Now, Diane, John, and others are focused on continuing to tell the story of this uniquely preserved piece of American history. Do you feel like you have a responsibility to continue your father's work? I do, I do. I hear his voice on every street block that I walk. And I truly think that his legacy was teaching us that our legacies are important. I'm ready to go out there and continue working and encouraging people to understand their history because that that is who we are. Uh, and this story is so important on so many levels. I mean, so many people here in the tri-state know about it, but very few across the country mm -hmm. have ever heard of this story here. Yeah, Central Park, it's prime real estate. Yeah, it is prime real estate. And our many thanks to Haley, who produced this piece. And uh, thanks to Diane Jones-Randall and John Reddick for sitting down with me and to the folks over at Central Park for sharing that story with us. Coming up, the youngest American male gymnast to ever win an individual medal. <laughs> He's hoping to represent Team USA in Paris this year, and he joins us here next. Welcome back. Look at him go as we round out the last week of Black History Month. Our next guest literally has us flipping out. 19-year-old gymnast Fred Richard made history after winning the bronze medal at the Men's Gymnastics World Championship. Fantastic. That moment making him the first American male gymnast to win an individual world medal in 13 years and now the youngest to ever do it. His goal is to represent Team USA at this year's Paris Olympics. Please welcome Fred Richard, everybody in the house. <laughs> we are loving on you, man. Thank you, guys. Congratulations. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Also, I have to say, I need to like get this set up in my room because this is crazy. <laughs> be nice to wake up to this, right? Yeah, this I told is you amazing. when you first walked in the door, I said, "Man, don't forget us when you blow up." But you're already there. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. How does it feel <laughs> to be making history? It's, it's unreal, honestly. It's like you remember when you were a kid and just doing those small skills in the gym for fun, and then you're just here on the big stage. But it just makes me thankful for all the people that got me here. Mm. Yeah. Let's talk about the moment that got you here. So you actually fell mm -hmm. on your final event, which is actually, it's one of your stronger events. It was my the stronger high, events, yeah. <laughs> the high bars, you're like, this is where you feel confident. Mm -hmm. and so even with that setback, mm -hmm. you were still able to medal. Yeah. Like, how do you do that? How do you mentally push through a moment like that? Yeah, I think in a moment like that, you're you know, at the biggest stage of your life and you mess up, 
it's it takes something deep inside to i just in that moment i just realized what am i really here for is it to tr like chase the objects the metals or whatever or to kind of live in the moment and remember how I got here, which is doing what I love. And so I said, you know, when I hop back on this event, I'm just gonna do it for fun and just do it the, as perfect as I, as I can. And then I ended up finishing that routine the best I've ever finished it, like perfect. And that's what kept me in, in a good enough place to still medal. So, I love that. Was yeah. it hard not to beat yourself up afterward? Very hard, I mean, I think I went through, for a couple minutes, this kind of like imposter syndrome, like, do I really deserve a medal after messing up? I mean, I felt like I could have done better. I know I could have done better. I've done that routine many times. But then I realized I did deserve it. I was the third best performing athlete that day. And it's who performs on that day. That's what's going to come down to for this Olympics. And that's how the game works. And, and you're that mental young. toughness, yeah. I mean, to be able to plow through. Yeah. You're youngin'. Mm -hmm. but we want to go way back if we can. Way back, Is okay. it true that your mom noticed that you were doing handstands in the crib? Yeah, when she showed me that picture, I didn't <laughs> even believe in myself. I was like, that was me? But it's funny, it just shows I've been in doing it my whole life. It's just a part of me. It's, it's, I feel like almost like I was chosen by the sport, to be honest. Because at six years old, that's when you said, okay, this is my passion? Yeah, it's like, I didn't even need to say it. It just... I just knew it, I felt it. You know, my, I had a sister, she's a year older than me. And you know, there's days where she was like, do we have to go to the gym? You know, where she's hanging out with friends and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, we have to go. Like, I wanna go there, I need to go there. It's like something inside me just made me have to go to the gym every day, have to try my hardest. Somehow you just knew to do a handstand at that age. <laughs> yeah, that, crazy. I don't know. That's, crazy, That's absolutely yeah. crazy. So we know you've been hitting the gym really hard, hopefully mm -hmm. ahead of trying to get ready for Paris, yeah. to go to Paris. But we'd like to see a little trick or two. Oh, no, I can't do that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't do flips. <laughs> no, I got <laughs> All right. We'll do the classic, I guess. Okay. We'll do a backflip. Oh. And I'm a pro, so I have to stick this. Otherwise, it's embarrassing. So <laughs> we'll put some pressure on me. And you're going to do it with the Crocs on? We're going to do it with the Crocs. And the Michigan Crocs. Up. Man, you yeah. can tell these yeah. young. Let's go. Go blue for sure. <laughs> All right. That's we got the why stick. they call him the greatest. Exactly, we got the stick. Yeah. I mean, the fiend did not move. They <laughs> Don't were planted. Move, <laughs> That's so cool, man. Yep. We're so proud of you. Keep Thank doing you. your thing. Really appreciate it. Yeah. And we will all be cheering for you. Yes, awesome. we will. Our thanks to Fred Richard for being here with us today and yeah. the Paris Olympics just a few months away. Knock them dead. Yes, Coming sir. up on GMA3, fan favorite Sterling K. Brown. Up for an Oscar for its performance of the hit American fiction, his conversation with Kelly L. Carter. Come on back. Welcome back. The 96th Academy Award is right around the corner and we are celebrating with conversations with some of the biggest nominees on the road to the Oscars. Some big names here and today we are talking with Sterling K. Brown. ABC News contributor Kelly L. Carter recently sat down with him uh, to discuss his Best Supporting Actor nomination and how his love of acting first began. You ever seen a heroin addict? Those guys take naps standing up. It's dangerous. Look, I'm keeping an eye on her. I'm a doctor. So am I. Right. Maybe if we need to revive a sentence. Sterling K. Brown, congratulations. Thank you. Oscar nominated. What does that feel like? Uh, cool. I feel blessed and highly favored. I feel I, I, also the company that is in the category. Mm. You got Gosling, you got De Niro, you got Ruffalo, you got Downey Jr and brown. I'm like, what? Like, I'm, I'm with these dudes at heavyweights, you know? I mean, is this the dream? Is this what you were thinking when you first said, you know what I think I want to do for a living? I want to act. 
I'll say that it's a dream that came after, right? Like, I think the acting in and of itself was the reward. I just love getting inside of people and understanding what makes them tick. What do you see in my brother? He's funny. Mm-hmm. He's not funny. No, not ha-ha funny. No. Like, sad funny. And what about being nominated for this film and this role in particular? I love this movie. Yeah. And I think I just wanted to be a part of it. Uh, there was some squabbles in the beginning, like, it's not the lead and it's sort of a supporting character. And I read the script, I was like, no, how, how can I be down? <laughs> yeah. This is something I have to be in because it is expanding the breadth of black stories. Um, it was told with excellence. And if it is continues to have some commercial success, I'd like to see more of these stories be told. Because it does seem like the lane which we have been allowed to a certain extent has been relatively narrow. This nomination has also made history in a lot of ways because this is the first time that we've seen a lead character in a film and a supporting character in a film both be nominated right. that are black. Yeah. Uh, this is huge, this yeah. is colossal. Um, talk about that and the importance of kind of representing in this way. So I think Jeffrey and I both feel the same way, is that it should have happened a long time ago, right? But I feel like people who do first should be stately. Mm. Like Mahershala should be doing first. <laughs> Mahershala is stately. You know, Denzel stately. I'm dumb. <laughs> so the fact that I get a chance to be a part of any first, I, I think that's God's way of saying that like everybody needs to have a sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> Are those human remains? You guys have a permit for that? Shut up, Philip. Liv, you don't talk to me like that. I will eat your sweater vest for dinner. What was your first acting role? What was the first one? First acting role was freshman year of high school, mm. and we did Godspell. At the end of the play, you sing this song, Prepare Ye the Way of the Lord, and we got standing ovations every night, and Saturday night in particular before we could even get Jesus all the way through. Mm -hmm. Like people stood up while we were still carrying him and it was just like, like this rush. And it was like a thrill and a high that I had only experienced playing sports. You're giving something to people and they feel it and are appreciative of it. And there's this exchange of energy that, that just sort of like fills you up in a way that I can't explain if you haven't done it. If you've done it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And that was it. You, you chased that moment from, from then on. Oh, wow. Our thanks to Sterling K. Brown. And once again, we want to remind you that the 96th Academy Awards on March 10th get underway at an all-new, earlier time, 7 p.m. Eastern, right here on ABC. And that is what you need to know for this Tuesday. I'm DeMarco Morgan. I'm Eva Pilgrim. For all of us here at ABC News, make it a great one.
Step into the world of Hollywood like never before with Melissa Rivers' group text podcast. Melissa, renowned for her red carpet expertise and storytelling prowess, invites you to join her and her famous friends for hilarious and heartfelt conversations. From discussing the latest binge-worthy TV shows, navigating the highs and lows of life, and dissecting celebrity fashion, there is never a dull moment. With exclusive stories from special guests like Chelsea Handler, Cheryl Hines, your favorite reality stars, and deep dives into intriguing topics like the Where is Wendy Williams documentary, this podcast offers an insider's look into the glitz and glam of Tinseltown. It's not just Melissa's podcast. It's a collective experience where you're invited to join the conversation. So if you've ever wanted to peek behind the Hollywood curtain, subscribe to Melissa Rivers' group text podcast now on your favorite platform. Get ready for laughter, tears, gossip. In other words, unforgettable moments that'll keep you coming back for more. Don't miss out. This is one group text you won't want to exit.